Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I'm on a series on the love walk. I've got an interesting word tonight on my, our 45th anniversary, and I want to go into 1 Corinthians 13 because um, the Bible says to let the love of the brethren continue. This is how they'll know we're his disciples, that we have love for one another. It's a really big deal. And we then need to know what love is. Love is value. Love is paying attention. Love is respect. Love is honor. And God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. He put a value on humanity by having his son suffer and die to alleviate our debt of sin and enable us to be able to have access to God. How many of you think that's awesome? That's the master stroke of God's love. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting our trespasses against us. And he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. He's given us the word of reconciliation. God and sinners reconciled, and then God's actually called us to build bridges and tear down walls. And in fact, Mrs. Frazier is an example of that, you know, and is, has been, been in that mode uh, way before uh, it, be, it became a fad. She's been out here tearing down walls and building bridges and being loving and, you know, and, and just um, it's a great example. I feel so honored you're here tonight because it underscores this, this theme I've been on on Friday nights. Everybody say love. love. Uh, beloved. Say love. <laughs> All right, it's going to be a church tonight. Don't look over there at those teenagers. But anyway, First um, John 4, 7, and 8 says, Beloved, let us love one another because love is of God and everyone that loves is born of God. The doesn't, person that doesn't love doesn't know God because God is love. Say that. God is love. It's a big deal, man. And 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I just already had it up there and I just threw through him a curve. But let's look at verse 4 through 8 in the New, the New American Standard translation. Let's read this out loud, okay? Ready? Read. Love is patient. Love is kind and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant does not act unbecomingly. It does not its own. It is not provoked. It does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, endures all things. I jumped. Yeah. Love never fails. Can I hear a hallelujah? That is so solid. It defines, it starts out with two positives of what it is, and it goes into a lot of what it is not. It is patient and kind. Yes. Patient puts up, tolerates. Um, it's long-suffering, it says in the King James, which means it suffers long. The love walk will help you to endure hardship, which the Bible says we're to do. We're to endure hardship as soldiers. And though I never had the privilege of serving in the military, I wanted to. I grew up near Camp Pendleton in San Diego, and I saw through the, the, all of the Vietnam time growing up, um, the, in, the, in the harbor, the Navy would come in, 
My dad worked for the defense industry, so it was all really part of my world, and I thought, you know, I, I would love to be able to serve that way. Well, yet, little knowing that I would become a Christian and be in God's army, fighting the good fight of faith, right? With the Ephesians 6 uh, armor of God, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, uh, the, the belt of truth, uh, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel. You know, we need to live prepared. We need to be ready. I think readiness is pleasing to the Lord. We're to be instant in season and out of season. So a lot of times it's out of season and we get passive or we just get kind of blasé. God doesn't want that, nor does he want us to be overly wound up and nervous or stressed out. He just wants us to be poised. And again, I like what Mrs. Frazier said, you know, everything that you see around us and every good thing that's happened in our particular local church, and there are a lot of wonderful things happening all over the world, but the reason for it is because God is good and because in our belief system we believe that he came to give abundant life. And there's a devil to resist who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And we are learning that the love walk creates an impenetrable shield around the life of a believer. Galatians 5, 6 says, faith works through love. Faith works through love. And faith is super amazing. It'll move mountains. It'll obtain things. It'll get answers to prayer, right? But unless... And if we're not walking in love, the first part of 1 Corinthians, if we, have, uh, if we speak in tongues like uh, um, of men and angels but have not love, we just sound like a clanging trash can lid. And if we have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge and, and have all faith to remove mountains but we don't have love, we're nothing. I, I, mean, I think I could safely say that none of us have an ambition to be mediocre or to be nothing. When we were born, we said, man, when I grow up, I want to be nothing. Loser. I saw the Beatles song on my satellite radio, I'm a loser. I turned it off. I thought, that's a bad confession. It's a good pop song, but it's a bad confession. Because we don't want to be losers. We're not designed to be losers. We're designed to be winners. We're made in his image. We're made for his purposes. We're made for, and it says in Ephesians 2.10, we're created in Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Through the course of our lives, through high times and hard times, youth, middle age, elderly age, God has plans for every season of our lives. That's why it says be instant in season and out of season. We live in Missouri where... Uh, you know, we got married 45 years ago, June 30th. It was 78 degrees, and it was 112% humidity. So it made it feel like it, they didn't have heat indexes yet, but it was like 112 degrees. We had, I guess, 650 people at the wedding at Abundant Life. Uh, Pastor Bruce Porter officiated the wedding. He did an altar call, and about 25 people got saved. 35 people got saved, including the barber that gave me that terrible haircut. She needed to get saved. Gerald Ford brought in his beautiful robed choir, 25-member choir, and they sang just beautiful and beautifully. They asked to sing there. Um, my wife had her, um, she sponsored at Pattonville High School, she sponsored where she was a teacher, the, the uh, cheerleaders, and they dressed up in white 
and they lit the candles, and, a, and uh, they symbolized the ten virgins with getting, having your lamps trimmed and burning. It was really something. Best wedding I've ever been to. And um, we were interested in each other, you know. So when Kingston sings, I want to be the most romantic man. And, and uh, Peter, G G well, I try to be. Thank you. I try to be, you know, uh, and mean it, you know. And in fact, the, the divine romance is all about God. I remember when uh, John Ashcroft came here, and he, he's a believer, and he, he said, you know, he saw our motto, honor God and help people, and he, he said he'd never seen anything like that before in a church, and he said it's, it's really a restatement of and a reloading of the great commandment. Love the Lord your God, help me with it, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second one is similar to the first. Love your neighbor as yourselves. So these are the, this is the big commandment, and this is, it's not a suggestion. It's God's mandate on our lives, and we just have to do it. And again, I think at the essence of Mrs. Frazier's, uh, she had this celebration, um, and, the, and people honored that. It, it, was, it was aspects of her love for God, her love for her neighbor as herself. And so I dedicate this message to you because you've lived it. And, uh, and that's what I want to be like when I grow up, right there. So let's concentrate now on this one verse, and it's in verse uh, 6. We've already talked about love is patient, so it's tolerant, and it puts up its kind, it's not harsh, and, you know, it's, it's not jealous, doesn't brag, isn't arrogant, God hates a haughty look. Um, it's, um, it doesn't act unbecomingly. Woo. It's a manners class from St. Louis Family Church right here. Uh, does not seek its own, isn't selfish, um, isn't provoked. So much provocation in today's world. Does not take into account a suffered wrong, doesn't hold a grudge, doesn't carry unforgiveness all the time. I mean, you know, unforgiveness. I, heard, I read an author, he said, it's like making a glass of poison and drinking it and expecting it to kill the person that you're in unforgiveness toward. You know, it, it's, 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 uh, it doesn't work. It, it just, it, just to it puts toxicity in us, right? So we got to figure out a way to, and we think about it. God forgave us the $900 billion debt that was damnable and was sending us to hell. And the least we could do is say, man, uh, I forgive you. Even think about Jesus, the Lord, who was suffering on the cross and at, with the last few breaths of his life said, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do to the people that were torturing him. And wow, just think about the precedence Jesus said. He's the, he's the king of love. And so we look at verse 6 now, and it's a very interesting verse. It, love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. The King James says, in iniquity. So it's as if to say, love and walking out God's pattern for living rejoices over the right things. And then therefore it's implying that there is actually right and wrong. And there's actually a delineation between good and evil. And then, get ready, 
it actually, the Bible lays out moral absolutes. And so tonight, we're just going to kind of look at uh, the contrast between some of these truth and error, light and darkness, evil and good kind of thing. And, uh, you know, it, this is not popular in, in a relativistic, pluralistic world. This, by the way, was written during the Roman Empire's dominance in uh, the Mediterranean world where the gospel was birthed. So they were, they were dealing with quite a cultural clash of values. And um, it's very artful how Jesus ministered to people. He, in the book of John, when the woman was caught in the act of adultery, and he said, let him who's never sinned cast the first stone, which under Jewish law was an appropriate sentence for the woman. But then they, he scribbled on the ground, and we don't know what he scribbled on the ground, but they, they each and every one dropped their stones and walked away. Then standing, he turned and looked at the woman and said, where are your accusers? And she said, nowhere, Lord. And he said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. That's the Jesus I know from the Bible. He was merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And uh, he endured the cross and he despised the shame. He suffered and died to set sinners free. That's why it's such good news. That's why it's such good news. And we need to, uh, you know, make the most of our time because the days are evil. We need to constantly assess how we're to live in the climate we're in and the world we're in so that we don't compromise, that we don't come off bigoted and bullheaded, but yet we're not uh, just wishy-washy either. We know we stand. If we don't stand for something, we'll fall for anything. Um, but to do it in a way that is all in the love walk uh, is, is going to increase the potential for us to win people to the Lord, help them get out of sin patterns, because that's really what we're trying to do. We're not trying to be a holier-than-thou, us-and-them type of a movement. We're in the world, but we're not of it. We're the light of the world, the salt of the earth, and we're called to show forth his excellencies. However, Isaiah, the Hebrew prophet, way before Paul came along, foretold a time, and he said in Isaiah 5, verse 20, Isaiah 5, verse 20, it says, uh, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Uh, so it, it's, it's, an, it's an interesting thing that this Isaiah is warning. He's pronouncing a woe. You know what woe means? Woe. When God says a woe to something, you just want to put the brakes on, don't you? And not call evil good and good evil. And in this verse, love doesn't rejoice in unrighteousness, like celebrating the wrong thing and downgrading the right thing. That's got to flip. And we've got to call evil, evil, and good, good. Now, this is where it got messed up. Adam and Eve, the garden, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, messed humanity up. And I, uh, I met a former Soviet dissident named Georgi Sininsky. He had grown up in uh, Soviet Russia, learned English in school, very intelligent man, 
got away as soon as perestroika hit, and he, they were able to, to leave uh, the Eastern Bloc and come to America. And he, he told me he was angry that he wasn't allowed to observe his religion. He was Jewish, and he was never allowed to understand or study his foundation. And he was very angry about this. And um, he and I, you know, we had discussions. He came to my house, and it was winter. And guess what he was wearing on his head? A cool Russian bear hat, bear fur, big old. It was awesome, just classic. It was like Dr. Shivago, you know? <laughs> da, 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 da. And he comes walking up, and he's debating with us on the couch, and he's such a genius, and I just kind of got quiet. You know, even a fool, when he's quiet, is regarded as wise. You know, you, you get around a certifiable genius, you go, hmm, mm-hmm, hmm, and you feel pretty good. You can go toe-to-toe with that. Wow, yeah, nice thought. I, I do that with a lot of people. I did that with him. But he made a statement to me. He said, the whole world is in a handicap, and it's because when they ate the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that's when everything started to get skewed. Now, I've known this. I went to Bible school. I'm a Christian. I actually have read about the fall of man. I've read Genesis a number of times. I bought into that. I actually believe that literally happened. It's not just a, an allegory or a, some sort of mythology. I believe it literally historically happened. There were people named Adam and Eve. It was a creation, not a, just some sort of accident. I, I totally buy into that. And yet, Here's a guy who's just recently started to observe his Judaism and shares this bit of information with me, and it had so much inspiration and so much anointing on it. And the way he said it and the manner with which he said it, the words he used, English being his second language, that it just resonated in me. Stuff you hear and you kind of go ear blind, like, oh, yeah, yeah, I believe that. Oh, amen, yeah, yeah. And, and we're kind of numb to It's like I was dialed in because he was dialed in. And he was on this quest for truth, coming out of atheism, a a, a nationally endorsed and imposed secularism that he despised. And as soon as he could get out, he wanted to get away from it. Lessons learned from the Eastern Bloc. But that really ministered to me. And I would try to introduce Jesus to him as a Messiah, and he's the Jewish Savior and everything. Let's go to Romans chapter 1, because... Paul was a Hebrew of Hebrews, and he yet was called to the Gentiles. Of um, he went to the Roman Empire. He went to the he went to the nations, and um, as did a lot of the disciples. But Paul had this mission, and he tried to get into Rome. He wanted to go to the belly of the beast, and um, he was leaving the confines of of Palestine, of Israel, the, the Jerusalem, where he was from. He's on the road to Damascus. He's trying to stop Christianity. He has an encounter with the Lord on the road to Damascus, has a conversion experience, gets filled with the Holy Spirit, and gets commissioned to go and lead the Gentiles and their kings to the Lord. And he says um, in verse 8, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. See, this is what God's aspiration is for each Christian, to have faith reverberate like a domino effect out of each one of our individual lives. In the case of the Roman church, out of that Roman church, First First Baptist Church Chesterfield, or St. Louis Family Church, or 
uh, uh, the, the Methodist Church on Manchester, or whatever, you know, wherever people, wherever the gospel's preached, God would like to have the whole world hear the gospel from that place. For God, whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of his son, is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you. So he's always praying for the Romans, always in my prayers, making requests, if perhaps now at last, by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you, that you may be established. Don't you hear the heart of the Apostle Paul? He said, I just love to get to you. And, um, and, he, and he actually said this many times. Um, in fact, you'll see this in verse 13, but let's read 12. That is, that I may inc uh, be encouraged together with you, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. You know, the last conversation I had with evangelist Reinhard Bonnke, uh, he, it was the last conversation I had. And he said, I just would love to go to St. Louis Family Church. Now, I don't have to preach. I just would love to see everybody. And he just wanted to just be here. And it was because of this. It's because of the mutual building up. So when I heard Mrs. Frazier was coming, I knew that I was going to get blessed. And I'm the blessed one. But it's a give and take, isn't it? And when we do church right, and when we do relationships right, and we do it in the love walk, and we're rejoicing over the right things, and we're, you know, we're unsettled about the, the things that we need to be unsettled about, we call evil evil and good good, and we get things right, not just semantics, and also definitely not harsh, brutal, religionist attitude, but in the love walk where we value people, kids, you know, my banker told me that his kids were all homeschooled. And um, he said that his daughter was disruptive in the, in, with the other kids. And, his, and, and the teacher, mom, had to call the banker at his office and say, hey, this one daughter is causing a bunch of disruption. He said, put her on the phone. Listen, honey, you got to quit distracting your brother and your sister. And you got to let mom do school. Or I'm going to have to come home. I'm going to have to give you a spanking. She said, okay, daddy, click. Three minutes later, got a call from the teacher. And he had to go home, and he, 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 he said, honey, this is harder for me. I didn't, I didn't want to have to do this, but I've got, and she's like, you know, eight years old or something. He said, gave her a, a, you know, a simple uh, spanking, swat, you know, nothing of any kind of brutality, of course. It's brutal to withhold, actually, when kids need boundaries. Because she actually turned around and hugged him and was thankful that there was a boundary established. Aren't you thankful that God, aren't you thankful that on the highways in Missouri, they, at the extra expense, put those barriers, those concrete barriers there so that we wouldn't get hit by oncoming traffic, by all the distracted texting drivers with legalized weed on one hand and a, do, and a bong in the other, <laughs> texting. That's just not a wholesome deal for driving. But thank God for the boundaries, Right? Well, uh, yeah, I, I kind of like boundaries, but I don't like boundaries. Well, um, boundaries are good. And uh, when God's designed them to keep us from going into the ditch of life. So he said, uh, I do not want you to be unaware. Verse 13, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, um, that often I have planned to come to you and have been prevented so far. My wife and I have talked about this, how so much resistance you sometimes face when you're trying to go on your mission in life, 
There's a devil who does not want you to advance the gospel, doesn't want you to thrive in life, doesn't want you to express your faith, doesn't want you to win in life. He's a thief who comes to st only to steal, kill, and destroy. And even Paul, who's this amazing anointed apostle, said, man, I just tried and tried, but I was prevented so far so that I may obtain some fruit among you, even among the rest of the Gentiles. And there you can hear that repeated in Thessalonians and other places in Acts where he was hindered by Satan. But eventually he busted through because the word of God is not imprisoned. The gates of hell cannot prevail against the, the church. And uh, you are designed and wired to advance. You go from glory to glory, faith to faith. Proverbs 4 says, the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn that shines brighter and brighter to the full day. The way of the wicked is not so. They don't even know over what they're stumbling. But we set our heart on God, and I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, right? Fixing my eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, the king of love. So he says here, I'm under obligation to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. See, Jesus preached to Nicodemus at night and the woman from Samaria by day. One man had, a, in that male-dominated moment, had a high social ranking. The woman had uh, no social ranking. Um, that's why she said, why are you, a Jew, speaking to a Samaritan? Or why are you speaking to a woman, you know? And, and he, he said, well, go get your husband. Oh, uh, I don't have a husband. Well, you said that right. Uh, you've had five husbands, and the one you're with, not your husband. So she, she goes to Samaria and goes, come see a man who knows everything about me. He's a prophet. He, surely this is the Messiah. And that woman led the whole, her whole community to the Lord, her whole town to the Lord. And so it just shows how elegant the gospel is. And that's why Paul said, barbarian, Scythian, bond, or free. There's neither male nor female. This is where the great equalizer, a lot of people are looking for equality. A lot of people are looking for fairness. A lot of people are looking for love. I'm telling you, here it is. 2,000 years ago, in a very segregated, dissected, harsh, very peculiar environment, as we'll get ready to read. And yet the gospel flourished in this environment. There's a professor from Harvard who is the, the, the known historian on all things Roman Empire. And he wrote a whole book about why the Roman Empire failed and why Christianity succeeded. He said it's because of the signs and the wonders. When I was in Switzerland, right before we got married, we went on a mission trip with the guy that officiated our wedding and a bunch of others. We went witnessing in Jerusalem for the 30th anniversary of Israel's independence. We, and all of Israel, we went all through there. Went to Switzerland, we went to Germany. We were preaching on the Marian plots to guys that fought in the Nazi, and as Nazis who were still grieved over their behaviors in that period. We're trying to help them to understand the love of God and mercy. It was amazing to be in Israel amongst the Jewish people and then be in the country that where there was a Holocaust. I mean, it was like, what a contrast. What a way to start in our youthful days in the beginning of ministry. Yeah. And uh, I, it, I, I just felt like, you know, the gospel, we're under obligation to Greeks and barbarians, to both the wise and the foolish, 
The gospel, when presented or embraced and presented correctly, church, when done right, can really help people. When it's not done right, it could be a lot of problems. That's why we got to get it right. Amen? So, far, so for my sake, I, I, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are at Rome. For I am not ashamed. Let's say this out loud. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Look at this. For the Jew first and also for the Greek. Now, it wasn't just for the people on the Greek islands. The world had been Hellenized, meaning the, the Greek and Roman Empire had spread and all of its philosophies and thought. That's why the New Testament was written in common Greek. It was like English of its time. It was the diplomatic language that would get to the most people. So what the enemy meant for harm with all that dominance from Alexander the Great and then all the conquerors and all those periods, God turned it around for good and centralized the language so more people could get saved and the early church would have a, a really fiery and powerful start. Hallelujah. Woo! So he says, uh, it's, the gospel is available to all, Greek, Jew, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, uh, wise, foolish. See, I was talking to Georgi Soninsky, and I felt like this guy is a man of depth. He's a genius. Um, when I was doing the meetings in California, a man came, and he got invited because he had just taught Leonardo DiCaprio how to play the part of Howard Hughes. And the reason he had the competency to do that is he was the head of the, psych of the psych psychiatric department at UCLA. And he's a Jewish man, and uh, he had family that had suffered in the Holocaust. And he was a practicing Buddhist for over 32 years. And he came to my meetings. So this guy's a certifiable genius. He literally wrote the textbooks on neuroscience uh, dealing with the subject of obs obsessive compulsive disorder. He wrote the textbooks on it. And I saw pictures of him with, with Martin Scorsese and Leonardo DiCaprio, and he's enthusiastically explaining to the actor for his training to play the role of Howard Hughes, who had the terrible blight of uh, obsessive compulsive disorder. And uh, so he came to the meeting, and I'm preaching the gospel of Jesus the way I do, and here's the head of the psychiatric department, certifiable genius, highly educated, a uh, man of letters, many, you know, just uh, the, the, the authority on a subject that I could hardly pronounce, and uh, practicing Buddhist, not an observant Jew, but yet from an Orthodox Jewish family. And he starts to hear the gospel, and because, and since the gospel is the power of God to salvation to everyone that believes, it starts dealing with his heart. And he keeps coming back to the monthly meetings. And we have these tables just like we do in our foyer, like these high-top tables, and we'd serve uh, beverages and some food. And so I would walk up a little bit bigger table, and I'd put my elbows up there, and he'd be sitting across the table standing, and I'd say, um, so have you received Jesus into your heart yet? And he said, not yet. Not yet. And so I just backed off. I didn't want to, but I thought, he's coming. And, um, and I'm fascinated, actually, that God would use me or my style to relate to someone like that. And that really speaks to me about how powerful the gospel is. And it actually is independent from our performance. It, it's like we do our best and God does the rest. We share 
Like, like see, when during the hit Jesus movement, hippies were coming out of heroin and cocaine addiction, hard drug addiction, and grandmother types who never even touched a bottle of liquor ever, never even thought of drugs, were loving kids out of the pit. And uh, they were getting set free and delivered. So it doesn't necessarily, I mean, God, yes, he does use our relatable um, experiences. He does use them. I don't want to downplay that. But I also don't want to upplay it either. Like, well, since I've never had those experiences, I'm not going to be able, since I never went and studied neuroscience, you're telling me I can't reach this Jewish guy that practices Buddhism? Or you're telling me I can't reach this Soviet dissident raised in atheism who's now just embracing his, his, uh, his, his Judaism and he's coming to America and English is his second language and he just got a liver transplant, I guess, from maybe some too much vodka, I don't know. And, 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 and yet here, here we are juxtaposed in this kind of world. And how do, we, how do we navigate? Well, we navigate because he said, go into all the world and preach good news, but it's gotta be with love. And so when he says it's patient, it's kind, it's not arrogant, it doesn't brag, it, you know, it's not jealous, it doesn't seek its own, you know, and all these kinds of statements, including what I'm saying here, um, it does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. This is strong. And Paul really begins to lay it out in this chapter. You got a couple more minutes? I just want to read this to you. Do you, you have ears to hear? Yeah. I'm, I'm doing good with my time. I think we can end by nine, and that's not much longer. So are you okay with that? Yeah. I know it's past my bedtime, but let, we're going to just continue. He says, it's in, it's, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, for it is written, But the righteous shall live by faith. We walk by faith. We trust God. And some people ridicule that. Oh, you just into some religious crutch. No, it's the whole hospital. It's not just a crutch. It's not just a wheelchair. It's not just a stretcher. It's the whole hospital. I'm leaning on his everlasting arms. I'm not apologizing for that. For the rap, now listen to this. This gets really, really, can you hear this? Because we're talking about it does not rejoice in iniquity or in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. So here we are. And it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is actually evident within everybody. For God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes... His eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly seen being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. I saw three horses in a corral by my house on the way home. I rolled down the window. I said, hey, guys. And uh, they looked at me and they turned their heads sideways to look at me, you know. And, um, and I think about when uh, the Shaw's horses would get loose and I love how polite um, that Debbie Shaw Frank made uh, Mrs. Frazier's voice say, your horses are up on our hill. You think you could come get them? Uh, we had a horse that just almost fell into our swimming pool in our backyard. And like, like I, there was something, she said, something's moving out there. I thought, well, there's squirrels. This was a big squirrel. I went, 
but when we take walks, we walk our grandkids by the horses, and they're really sweet, and they'll come up to the, to the uh, gate, and they'll, they'll put their heads down and let us pet their manes and stuff. And um, you just look at them, and you just think about God made that. They're these beautiful, they're just, they're just their proportions, you know. Horses are just amazing. There's even, isn't there some sort of equestrian count? Um, uh, some sort of a therapy, psychological therapy. What's that called? It, it's they're, because they're such they're 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 as smart as the smartest dogs, and a smart dog is, yeah, kids with Alzheimer with uh, with autism and stuff and disabilities, and they get around horses and horses they're they're soothing and they're and um, it, it it's it's and creation declares the glory of God. I mean, I, I, I find, like, I'd, if I go back in time, I'd say to Charles Darwin, what are you thinking, man? Just look at that pony for 10 minutes. But anyway, because, you know, his, his nature is evident. His, you know, and Pastor John has talked with me about this a number of times, that, that this is the lowest form of, of revelation, Three overt revelations. One is his invisible attributes. Two is his eternal power. Three is divine nature. And they're clearly seen in what's been made. We were out before church. I was standing out there on the patio with some of our, our security. And I was looking up at the, at the sky. And it was one of those vivid uh, silver lining kind of things. And there were some of these Missouri thunderclouds coming in real dark gray. You could tell just full of moisture, just kind of with a lot of texture. But above them, there were these really billowy, I guess, cumulus clouds. They look like cotton, you know. And then, uh, and there was, so there were silver linings on them, and some were blowing faster than others. And it was fun making everybody look up when they came into church. I just thought that was one, you know, they were like, what are you looking at? And um, what, I was, what I was looking at was creation declaring the glory of God. And don't you love it when you see those glory streaks shooting out of the, out of the clouds? That's my God, you know. Uh, and I give him the praise for it. I heard someone say, I pity the atheist that doesn't have anyone to thank when they see a sunset. So I continue. He says, um, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. And even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. But they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart sadly was darkened. This is the fall of man. This is a lost world. And this is Paul speaking to the Roman Empire. This might as well have been Billy Graham speaking in the 1970s, early 70s, to the hippie culture of the fallen world we were in. You know, it's very similar. Might, might as well be 2023 right now. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and of four-footed animals and of crawling creatures. You remember when they got gold, the gold earrings and melted them all down while Moses was up getting the, the tablets and uh, they, were, they, were, they made a golden calf. They had been delivered and they're still prone toward idolatry. So that's a tendency humanity has that we have to, we're forbidden for forbidden to, to go into, but be, must be aware of. Therefore, God gave them over to the lust of their own hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie 
and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever, amen. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. God let them, because he gave us free will, he, he let them, he let, you can do what you want. That's part of the, that's part of the blessing on humanity and our dilemma in humanity. And it's how you use it. And so, you know, that's why it says love, uh, it does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. And it understands moral absolutes and the subject of right and wrong and, and sin and righteousness and gets it right. But listen to this. It says, um, it says, for this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions for their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way, also the men abandoning the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. As Paul was preaching this in the Roman Empire, they would have clearly understood what he was saying. And as they did not see fit to acknowledge God, talk to the hand any longer, God gave them over, you can have what you want, to a depraved mind and do, to do those things which are not proper. So see, this is inflammatory to people that first of all, don't believe in the Bible, don't believe in the God of the Bible. How dare you shove your book in my face? Well, I'm not. But I do believe that all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for correction, for training in righteousness, for reproof, so that the man, woman, or child of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. We've got a job to do. We've got to carry good news. We've got to understand the de delineation between evil and good, not blur the lines. Every time people do, it gets you in trouble. It's just like the guy that drifted off the highway um, with his sister's car while he was... Uh, uh, he, he dropped a, a joint before weed was legal on his lap. The guy I worked with at the, at, at, uh, the pasta house, right, 1970, right after high school. And uh, he, he, uh, he crashed into that barrier. And I said, man, aren't you glad that barrier was there? He said, sparks were flying off my sister's front quarter panel. Better to have sparks flying off your sister's front quarter panel than going, and doing, going into oncoming traffic, right? God's trying to get people in the right lane here. He's loving us and saying, well, here's the stuff. Here's how I feel about this, guys. Right? It's like, well, wait a minute. I want to cut and paste. That's offensive. I don't. Well, there's an offense. He, he's the rock of offense. The cross is an offense. The cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it's salvation to those who are being saved. So then it says, uh, it says in verse 28, and just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness. Remember, love doesn't rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Uh, and, and so being filled with all unrighteousness, let's see, uh, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, they are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, remember love is not arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, let's come up with something new, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, this is what I'm talking about, the love walk, unmerciful, it says because lawlessness is increased or wickedness is increased. Jesus said many people's, most people's love will grow cold. So Mrs. Frazier comes in, it's all love. She drove her own car, 
92 years old, she drove her own car. She really didn't need me to help her get up. She could have got up if she was making me feel important, which I now do. And uh, she's just motoring through life, motivated and driven by the love of Jesus. That's her testimony. That's her testimony. That's our testimony. And this is very helpful. These truths, when acted upon, have liberated people from that ungrateful position, disobedient, and caught. And, and if anyone is in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, he or she, listen, becomes a brand new creation. Here's a family from Hungary. His dad served and his mom, Christians, in the cold, during that period of the harsh, what we call the Cold War. They were in it, and yet he stood for Jesus. It took something for people in the Eastern Bloc nations to stand for Jesus. I just got a text from Dritan Gashi from Kosovo, raised in an Islamic home. He gets born again uh, uh, at the resistance of his parents. The, the Serbians come to try to kill off all the ethnic Albanians because they don't like them. And there's a terrible ethnic cleansing there. A million people are displaced. Dritan says goodbye to his brother, gives him a crumpled track, puts it in his hand. He's, his brother's not saved. They go away, they're away for something like 72 days. Was that about right, 72 days? They find each other and three times he got to see his brother that he didn't get killed. The town we served in over there was the highest death per, per capita. Uh, it, was, it was called, a, it, was, it was terrible. Big mass graves, it was terrible there. Trauma to people. And when they found each other from coming back from the refugee camps, he said, I prayed for you. And then his brother said, I prayed for you too. And he went, what? He, and he pulled out the track that he had given him. He said, I got saved. I gave my heart to Jesus. Hallelujah. That redheaded guy, he lives in Toronto now, I think. Yeah, and, and, and I, it's so wonderful, isn't it? The gospel is the power of God to salvation to everyone that believes. Paul said, woe is me if I don't preach it. Woe is us if we don't live it. And how do we live it? Do we live it like harsh, harsh, judgmental, critical religionists pointing a finger at everybody and, 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 and criticizing them for their sin or going, wait a minute, but for the grace of God go I. My message is this, it's not holier than thou. I was lost, Jesus lit to shine the light on me. By his mercy and grace I got saved and you can be too. And they'll, they'll invite you to say, now, gradate my sin, which is worse of, of all. And Jesus, you see, he, was, he finessed around that stuff. He just went, wait a minute, that's not my message. My message is you must be born again. And uh, so Paul, in even preaching this way, clarifies how humanity has drifted as a result of eating the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he says they're without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful, verse 32, and we'll finish. And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. That's why when it says, love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. So it's like, chime in and endorse what I tell you to endorse. I would if it was okay with God, but since it's not, I'm not gonna go there. But I love everybody, but I love everybody. I love you, say, but I love you. Say, I love everybody, 
Right? Let's all stand up on our feet. Hallelujah. 901, I did good. Listen. Dr. Jeff Schwartz eventually did get saved. He, I, one time I said to him, have you given your heart to Jesus? He said, not yet, but I'm close. Then I remember when he got saved. Do you know that he changed his will and he put uh, Third Tuesday on it because it was that was the instrument that led him to Christ. And I said, you're, you're younger than me. What are you, you're not gonna die anytime soon. He says, I have a lot of enemies. He had funny Jewish humor, so anyway, I just thought that was hilarious. But now he's serving God, and he's, uh, he's a voice of inspiration. Can you imagine that? Nicodemus getting saved, contacting Jesus. The woman at, at the well. Think about the woman caught in the act of adultery. And she walks away, says, go, go and sin no more, right? That's God's message to us. You know, we get in large crowds. We think of all the individuals in the large crowds. And we pray I pray you open up the eyes of their understanding God I pray you sweep through the st. Louis bi-state area Chesterfield Wildwood st. Charles all round about us Manchester Ellisville uh, all the way over to Fairview Heights and Belleville and Illinois and up to Chicago and all the way down to Texas all the way over to Seattle and down to San Diego and up to Maine and down to Miami right and God save America God, that's what Paul was like. God, I pray the Roman Empire comes to, uh, gets on their knees and receives Jesus and repents of idolatry, right? Then I pray revival in the church and harvest amongst the lost. So say this with me. Here am I, Lord. Send me. Use me. Speak through me. Help me to be a credi credible witness. On fire full of love, non-judgmental, not critical, flowing in wisdom. Give me discernment that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Help me, Jesus, to make sense of my time and to understand my moment. Help us as a family. Help us as a people. Help us as a community. In Jesus' name.